Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Retroist. Like many children of the 80s, I was obsessed with Indiana Jones. Far longer than probably most people were. I, of course, caught original Indiana Jones mania when it first came out, and I saw Temple of Doom. Unlike my friends, I loved it more than the original at the time. Nowadays, I prefer Raiders. I think in my head, I became obsessed with becoming a character like that, that high adventure. I was always a fan of adventure movies from the 30s and 40s. So at the time, I embarked on a plan to make myself into one of these adventurers. Now, I can't say it turned out well, but at the time, I really worked hard at it. I would go down my block and practice doing adventure things. I would swing from ropes. I would try to climb rocks. I made myself a whip and practiced with that. I tried to learn old-time pugilist moves, you know, the kind of ones where people throw hands, keep them in front of them. Anything that I could do that might make me more like one of those adventurer characters. Then, a show came on television called Tales of the Gold Monkey, and it added even more things that I wanted to do. Not only did I want to be Indiana Jones, a famous archaeologist who went from place to place recovering treasure, but now I wanted to be a pilot. I'd never been on a plane at that point. Now, I'd never even been on a plane at that point in my life. So I went to the town library and asked if they had a book on aviation and flying. I got a couple of different books, nothing that gave a lot of information, but I read them all from cover to cover. Now, I can tell you this. I am not a famous archaeologist. I don't even enjoy flying. I spend most of my time working behind a computer. Now, some might say that the time when I was a kid maybe was wasted. Maybe I should have done more productive things. Maybe I could have learned how to use a computer a little earlier. But to me, the memories of dreaming of being an adventurer are worth more than just about anything nowadays. If you were to ask me tomorrow what would I like to be if I wasn't doing what I was doing now, I'd still want to be Indiana Jones. And I encourage everyone out there who is trying to figure out what they want to be in life to think about being an adventurer. Be it Indiana Jones, be it Jake Cutter, be it Richard Chamberlain's character in that Solomon's Mind movie. The world could use more adventurers. On today's show, we're going to talk about Tales of the Gold Monkey, a show that did not last long enough to make an impression on everyone in the world. But to those of us lucky to have caught it, it has almost been like a virus infecting our brain. We can recall how much we loved it, and we can't understand why it would be taken away from us. We'll talk about the show's creation, the cast, a little bit about the plot. We'll talk about the influences that made it what it was, and the shows that it had an influence on. Should be a real fun episode. So without further ado, let's start the show. The history of Tales of the Gold Monkey starts well before the show premiered on television. 
In fact, it started in the 70s when Don Belisario tried to get ABC to pick up a show that he called Tales of the Brass Monkey. In the late 70s, network executives thought that no one would want a show that was set in the 30s. But when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981, they quickly changed their tune. Now, as I said, the show was originally titled Tales of the Brass Monkey. And it would have remained so, but at the time there was a cocktail mix called Brass Monkey. And they requested that the show change their title. Now, I don't think anyone would have confused the show with the Brass Monkey mix. In fact, I think it seemed like a perfect marketing opportunity. But, fearing litigation, Belisario and crew changed the name to Tales of the Gold Monkey. For those who are familiar with the show, there's a bit of irony in this. Because a statue of a gold monkey is a very important part of the pilot of the show. In a nod to perhaps the Maltese Falcon, we find out that that statue is in fact made of brass. Despite the fact that it's very Indiana Jones-esque, Belisario has said that the inspiration of the film was not Indiana Jones, but instead the 1939 film Only Angels Have Wings, which starred Cary Grant, Gene Arthur, Thomas Mitchell, and a young Rita Hayworth. Since we know the concept of the show predates Raiders of the Lost Ark, we know this is true. It's obvious that that is not the only movie from the time that influenced the show. As I said, there's sort of a reference to the Maltese Falcon, and they play as time goes by several times in the pilot in an obvious nod to Casablanca. The movie Only Angels Have Wings was directed by Howard Hawks and is regarded as one of his best films. In it, Cary Grant plays a pilot and the manager of a small, barely solvent air service and carries mail from the town of Barranca in Colombia over the Andes Mountains. One day, a piano-playing entertainer arrives and becomes infatuated with Carter. And despite every impulse to the contrary. She decides to stay. She just can't resist his adventurer spirit. It's a great movie, and although a little rambling, is really worth seeing. And it was nominated for two Academy Awards, one for Best Cinematography and another for Best Special Effects. Now, Raiders of the Lost Ark had come out. Everybody thought, well, people are now going to want to watch a show about people in the 30s. Two networks had that idea. ABC, who had originally passed on Tales of the Brass Monkey, and CBS. CBS was going to do a show called Bring Em Back Alive, which, although good, I feel is inferior. And they wanted to cast Bruce Boxleitner. Now, Bruce Boxleitner was also the original choice to play the lead in Tales of the Gold Monkey. But Boxleitner's agent at the time had a deal with CBS that gave the network a shot at any of his clients. So Bruce was cast on Bring Him Back Alive, and Stephen Collins, who I think was a great choice, came on to do Tales of the Gold Monkey, thus ensuring a constant state of confusion amongst fans of the two shows as to who was the lead in which. Now, a little bit about the show itself. Tales of the Gold Monkey was set on a fictitious island in the South Pacific called Bora Gora. It takes place in 1938 and follows the adventures of Jake Cutter, a cargo pilot who flies a Grumman seaplane called Cutter's Goose. Since he's a cargo pilot, his job should be pretty boring, right? But it's an interesting time, and because of this, Jake is always getting into fights with assorted bad guys. Joining Jake are his alcoholic mechanic-slash-co-pilot Corky, and Jack, his one-eyed, multilingual terrier. When not flying, Jake lives in a room above the Monkey Bar, which is owned by Bonchance Louis, who happens to also be the head of the island and its medical officer. Sarah White, who is a agent for the U.S. State Department, also sings at the bar, a job that Jake got her, and he's the only one who knows her secret identity. Now, she's not the only spy on the island. 
the Reverend Willie Tenboom, who is a Dutch priest with a penchant for seducing his female parishioners, is really a German army officer. As I mentioned, the show was broadcast on ABC and would run from September 22nd, 1982 to July 6th, 1983. That's just one season, folks. In total, it had 21 episodes, and that includes the two-hour pilot. It was produced by Belisarius Productions in association with Universal, and of course was created by Dom Belisario. Now, I've mentioned the general plot, but for a show that only had one season, a lot of the characters that I mentioned were really well thought out. You had Jake Cutter, who was played by Stephen Collins. Jake was born in 1901, the bastard son of a famous aviation pioneer, who now owns the largest aircraft corporation in San Diego. And we find out that his mother was a famous Broadway actress who passed away. Now, Jake's father was willing to pay for his son's education, and Jake went to Cornell from 1920 to 1924. But sadly, his father never officially recognized him as his son. Jake's army career began in the Army Air Corps, where he flew the mail in the Alleghenies. Following his discharge in 1931, he was a barnstormer and flew cargo until he landed a co-pilot position on the China Clipper. That's where he met Corky. Jake did a short stint with the Flying Tigers, flying over China, but during this, he was wounded and had to go to Hawaii to recover. On the way to Hawaii, they heard that a Grumman Goose had crashed while being ferried to Australia from Hawaii. They went and found the goose, salvaged it, repaired it, and started using it for their business. I say they because he didn't do it alone. He had his partner, Corky. Jeff McKay played Corky, Jack's mechanic, co-pilot, and best friend. Corky used to be the chief mechanic for Pan Pacific Airways, which flew the China Clipper until one of the Clippers went down, presumably due to mechanical failure. On that flight was Corky's sister and her baby. Corky never forgave himself. He felt responsible and hit the bottle very hard. Jake met him in a gutter in Shanghai and helped him out and made him his mechanic. If Tales of the Gold Monkey had kept going for multiple seasons, it would have been interesting to see Corky climb out of the bottle and get sober over the course of the show. Sadly, we never got to see that. As a little interesting aside, Corky happened to speak fluent Spanish because he was raised in Peru by his American father and Spanish mother. Now, some might tell you that Corky is Jake's best friend, but it's arguable that Jack, his terrier, is actually his best friend. Jack, the dog, was played by a dog named Leo, and he's a one-eyed fox terrier who is pretty much fearless. In the show, Jack is a pretty smart dog and holds a grudge like you wouldn't believe. See, Jake lost his glass eye in a poker game, and because of that, Jack has a bit of an attitude throughout the show. And throughout the first season, that eye will float around as a running joke, growing almost to the point of being a talisman as it moves from person to person. Caitlin O'Heaney plays Sarah Stickney White, the American spy. Her father was a world-renowned archaeologist and U.S. intelligence agent, sort of an adventurer ne'er-do-well like I wanted to be, and was on a dangerous mission in Egypt when he was killed under suspicious circumstances, which would have never happened to me. Sarah tried to pick up the mantle of his case and thought that the case was going to lead to the South Pacific, and thus she became an American agent. She puts on a tough front, but Sarah's definitely a softie at heart. One of my favorite characters on the show was played by Roddy McDowell in the pilot by Ron Moody, and that's Bonchance Louis, the magistrate of justice in Morogora. 
Louis is a rogue and a thief. So why was he put in charge? Well, prior to Louis, the last two government officials that the French had sent to the islands were both robbed and feared for their lives. So the French thought, well, if they needed someone to run an island of thieves, why not send a thief? Now, I said Louis is a rogue, but he is quite lovable and has a really mysterious past, which he likes to reveal just in passing. Like when he talked about climbing Mount Everest. Louis is aware of almost everything that goes on in the island. And if you want anything done, you go to Louis. Just make sure, bring money. The Reverend Willie Tenboom is the son of a long line of Prussian generals. He was expelled from military school when he was caught under the covers with the Commandant's wife. His reward for doing so? To become the German spy in the Maravellis. But far from being upset, Willie seems to take to the job with gusto. And although a proud German, Willie is not a fan of the Nazi regime. Rounding out the cast, you have Marta Dubois as Princess Koji, John Fujioko as Toto, and Les Janky as Gushy, Louis' wheelchair-bound partner. Another important cast member is the plane, the Grumman Goose that Jake flew. The plane in the show is most likely a Grumman G-21A, which the British affectionately called the Goose. At the time, the Goose was intended to be a rich man's toy but was so well-built that it became the plane of choice for many private maritime concerns. The Navy and the Coast Guard maintained a fleet of the geese as rescue craft. At the time that the goose went on the open market in 1937, it had a base price of $60,000, which made the salvage of the goose quite a bargain. We're talking TV today, so you know what that means. Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five tales of high adventure from the television series Tales of the Gold Monkey. At number five is episode two, Shanghai. Quirky is kidnapped by Princess Koji's half-brother to repair the engines of his slave ship. Jake has to deal with malaria while attempting to rescue him. Number four is episode seven, Once a Tiger. Jake leads the search for a downed plane flown by a former flying tiger transporting a prototype gun sight of interest to the Japanese. And though he'd rather not, he's also out to retrieve his rival. Number three is episode 12, Ape Boy. After crash landing on an isolated island, Jake and Sarah help an abandoned boy found living among the apes who appear to have raised him. At number two is episode 16, Cooked Goose. A clipper pilot is beaten close to death, and his bride apparently kidnapped by Princess Koji and held for ransom. And the number one thrilling tale from Tales of the Gold Monkey is... Episode 17, Last Chance Louis. Louis is sentenced to the guillotine for the murder of a fighter in the First World War. His only defense is an old story he does not want to be revealed. Jake goes in search of a way to clear his name. And there you have it, the Retroist's top five tales of adventure from Tales of the Gold Monkey. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. The show was only on for one season, but it was nominated and won some Emmy Awards. It won for Outstanding Art Direction for a series, and it was nominated for Outstanding Costume Design, Outstanding Film Sound Editing, and Outstanding Film Sound Mixing. One out of four ain't bad. Who knows what would have happened had the show gone on for more seasons and was able to develop itself more richly. The show was pretty well received in both America and in Europe. 
But because of the high cost of producing episodes, ABC didn't think that they could justify the cost of the production of the show. Tales of the Gold Monkey would creep back into pop culture in two ways. Once, in an episode of Quantum Leap in 1992, which was co-written by Don Belisario. The episode was entitled Ghost Ship and was entirely set on a plane. And because of that, they used a lot of stock footage from Gold Monkey. So, in a way, Cutter's Goose flew again. It would have been really cool if Sam had just jumped in to Jake's body and merged the two shows. But we can't ask for everything. An even bigger influence is a little Disney cartoon called Tailspin. And although Disney claims it was a coincidence that the show was similar, it's just too hard to believe. If you've ever seen Tailspin, it bears a remarkable resemblance to Tales of the Gold Monkey. Great show, though. Even though we couldn't watch Tales of the Gold Monkey, we could really enjoy Tailspin and pretty much be getting the same show, but with a bear playing Jake. Perfect. Who doesn't love bears? For a long time, fans of the show have been sitting and waiting for Tales of the Gold Monkey to come out on DVD. Fabulous Films obtained the rights to put the show out in the UK, Australia, and the United States. And while it's already been released in the UK and Australia, we are looking at a early 2010 release for the US version. So finally, we can stop watching those old VHS copies and get a good shot of original Tales of the Gold Monkey in DVD quality. I cannot wait. With the growing popularity of lots of science fiction shows on television and the reimagining of so many classic TV hits, I think it might be time to revisit the world of Tales of the Gold Monkey, or at least the adventure genre in general. Now, don't get me wrong, I love seeing new Star Trek, I love seeing new Battlestar Galactica, but I think that in this ever-growing world, it'd be kind of fun to take a look back in the past to a time when adventure didn't need to be on the back of a rocket but instead could be in the back of a salvaged seaplane. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and facebook.com slash retroist. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.